Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. That was, that was kind of weak for Christmas Eve. Good morning. That was better. Maybe you're tired from staying up too late, shopping. I don't know. Uh, but it's good to be here together. The energy's been good this morning. Thanks to Dan for being here to sing for us. Uh, you can tell the renovation continues to churn along. New carpet uh, that got taken care of this week. We're thankful to have that in here. And for things to continue progressing along, we are getting close. Not quite there yet, but the finish line is not too far away. And we continue to be very thankful for all those who have helped tremendously. Uh, specifically, I want to just mention, as has been done before, Cody Forrester uh, and David Connor, who have spearheaded the whole thing, have just been tremendously helpful, and, and we appreciate them uh, so, so much. Well, this morning, uh, I want to do something a little bit different at the start of the, the sermon. I want us to start with a time of confession. Now, if you're already nervous about having to come forward, don't worry. You don't have to come forward. If you're nervous about having to stand, I'm not going to ask you to stand. But I do want you to raise your hand. Okay? Everybody ready? How many of you have watched a Hallmark Christmas movie this season? Okay. May God have mercy on your souls. No. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Okay, here's the second question. For those of you who have watched a Christmas movie, a Hallmark Christmas movie, how many of you have legitimately been surprised by the ending? Raise your hand. I thought we were going to have to have some folks repent of lying, but we didn't this morning. Uh there's something about these these movies that is predictable, right? They begin with the once upon a time, and they end with a happily ever after. And it doesn't matter what twists and turns there are in the course of the movie, the, the once upon a time is inevitably going to end up with a happily ever after, right? And that's why I think uh, so many of us, so many of you, have watched these movies this season, right? Because there's something that's kind of reassuring about it, uh, that, that's, that's relaxing and comforting. You don't really have to worry about it. You, your blood pressure is not going up as you're kind of intensely watching, wondering what's going to happen. You know that it's all going to work out at the end. At least that's what people who watch these tell me is the reason they like them. Like Jared. Uh, this is why Jared watches these. Uh, if you don't believe me, uh, Lauren, Lauren actually told me she's had to beg him to turn the TV off every night of December. So, you know, not really. Um, now I will confess of lying. Here, here's the deal about these movies, right? They, they have this journey from the opening once upon a time to the happily ever after. And it's inevitable that it's going to start out and it's going to get to the happily ever after at the end. And these aren't the only forms of entertainment we have that do this, right? Uh, fairy tales are often the same way. The fairy tales that have endured over time, they start with the once upon a time, and somehow, some way, they inevit inevitably end up at the happily ever after. Disney movies often follow the same familiar, pre predictable trajectory. They start with the once upon a time, and there's chaos and turmoil, but you pretty much always know it's going to turn out with a happily ever after. And there's a part of us that, even though we know it isn't true in reality, 
we enjoy these things because we want to believe that no matter the twists and turns in between, even in our lives, once upon a time, will inevitably turn into happily ever after. Now, most of us here this morning have heard the Christmas story more times than we can possibly count. There are a few exceptions. Well, maybe more than a few. I don't know if you've noticed how many new babies we've got around here lately. Just just among church staff, there's three, right? That's not counting everybody else. Babies everywhere. And they haven't heard it that many times yet. But before long, they'll be like the rest of us. They will have heard this story more times than they can possibly count. We've heard the story so many times, you and I, that we know it by heart. And not only do we know it by heart, I think for many of us, the whole story feels kind of like a Hallmark Christmas movie. Like the story that unfolds begins with the once upon a time of Gabriel visiting Mary. And it ends with the happily ever after of the shepherds and the magi worshiping the newborn king. And like it was inevitable the whole time that that's how it would go. Because while we know that this story is a true story, there's a part of it that is so so strange to us, so spectacular, so supernatural to us that we we tend to think it unfolds kind of like a Hallmark Christmas movie or a fairy tale. It's different from our ordinary lives. And so we, we assume that there's an inevitability about it that we would never assume to be true of our own lives. But make no mistake, there was nothing inevitable about this story because love True love, self-giving love is never inevitable. Self-giving love is always a choice. As Gabriel stood before Mary declaring God's intention to become God with us by way of her womb, there had to be a moment where she thought to herself, this isn't at all how I always dreamed my life would go. She must have wondered whether there was any chance that her relationship with Joseph could survive if she said yes to God's call. And of course, she had always wanted to be a mother. She'd always wanted to, to raise a child, but she'd always been a bit unsure about how it would be raising that child. And now, now she was being asked to raise the son of God. How in the world was she supposed to do that? And there was nothing inevitable about this story. There were so many reasons she could have chosen to say no to the call of God. But Mary put her concerns about herself aside and she said yes to the call of God. Mary made a choice that was far from inevitable. Mary chose self-giving love. And as Mary broke the news of her pregnancy to Joseph, you know his mind must have been racing, trying to make sense of what seemed utterly nonsensical. How could you have done this to me, Mary? How could you have betrayed me? What did I ever deserve? What did I ever do to deserve this? Wait, what's that you say? The Holy Spirit did this to you? Now, Mary, I mean, I know I wasn't the top of my class. I was closer to the bottom than the top. But I know the whole birds and the bees thing. What you just said happened doesn't happen. Finally, he he stops trying to make sense of it, and he just starts trying to figure out what what to do next. 
And he, he's, he's in agony over this because, you know, the best way forward isn't particularly clear. He loves Mary with all his heart, and he, he's wanted to spend his life with her. And yet, you know, her reputation is about to take a hit. And not just her reputation, his reputation. And, and he's just not sure what that's going to mean. And what about what about his hopes and dreams? I mean, Joseph, Joseph too had had always wanted to be a parent. He'd always wanted to be a father, but but he had dreams of of raising his son to follow in his footsteps. And and now he was supposed to be a father to the son of God. Finally, Joseph came to the realization that that the best possible thing to do would just be to to very quietly divorce Mary. It would be the best for her. It would be the best for him. Everybody could move on with things, and, and they could get back to, to, well, whatever normal would look like from now on. And so he went to sleep, convinced that, that this was what he would do when he woke up the next day. But when he woke up the next morning and he, he crawled out of bed, he, he had to start all over again trying to figure out what to do. Because in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord had appeared to him in a dream. In the dream, the angel of the Lord said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And oh, Joseph had so many reasons to choose otherwise. So many reasons to say no to the call of God. But he put aside his desire to, to look out for himself, to protect his name and preserve his reputation. And he said yes to the call of God. Joseph made a choice that was far from inevitable. Joseph chose self-giving love. And then there are the, the shepherds, the ones who heard the choir of angels singing the praises of the newborn king. And, and these shepherds, they... They ditched their flocks. And, and I don't know, maybe this meant they were risking the loss of their property, or maybe it meant they were risking the loss of their jobs. But either way, they made a choice not to, not to look out for themselves, not to take care of themselves. I mean, they could have just as easily shrugged their shoulders, rolled their eyes, and stuck with the sheep. But no, no, they made a different choice, a choice that was far from inevitable. The shepherds chose self-giving love. And let's not forget the magi, the kings, the wise men, whatever they were exactly. These guys, I mean, what they did, I cannot wrap my head around. I get tired making a one-hour drive to my in-laws in a car that has a nice radio, comfortable seats, suspension, a roof over my head. These guys decided to go on a journey over miles and miles and miles of treacherous lands. And they did it without climate control, without anti-lock brakes. They risked it. They risked it to find this one the star was pointing to. And not only did they take this journey, they packed with them for their journey some of the finest gifts they had to offer. These wise men, kings, magi, they made a choice that was far from inevitable. 
Magi chose self-giving love. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the Magi, they all made a choice, a difficult choice. And yet there's still some part of us, I think, that, that may be inclined to think that this was all inevitable. That, you know what, even if Mary had said no, God would have found another woman willing to bear the Son of God. Or if Joseph had said no, God would have found a willing partner in some other man who would help raise Jesus as his own. If the shepherds had rolled their eyes or shrugged their shoulders, our nativity scenes would look pretty different, but but that probably wouldn't have affected the outcome of the story too much. Or if the wise men had been unmoved by the star or had shown up empty-handed, we might not actually have ever heard of frankincense. And some of us might not be so worried right now that we're not finished with our Christmas shopping. But if not for the Magi, surely somebody else would have shown up with a gift for the newborn king. There's some part of us that's still inclined to think this was all inevitable. Perhaps more than any of these other parts of the story, though, I, I think we tend to think that, that the part about Jesus was inevitable. That the birth of Jesus was, was always going to happen. But, but here's the reality. Just as Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the magi all had a choice to make, so did Jesus. We often, we often think about Jesus' choice to endure the cross as the ultimate act of love. But, but that moment would have never happened if not for another choice made long before. You see, there was a moment when Jesus was faced with a choice. He was one with God, equal with God. Everything God had been a part of, Jesus had been a part of too all the way back to the very beginning. Creation, check. The exodus, check. The exile, check. The return from exile, check. Jesus had been a part of it all. Jesus had seen it all, but he had a choice to make. Did he want to hold on to all the benefits of being one with God, of being equal with God, or, or was he ready? Was he willing to empty himself, to take the form of a slave, to become like human beings, to become like you, to become like me? We're here today, as every Sunday, and specifically on this day that we call Christmas Eve, because though there were many many, many reasons to choose otherwise. Jesus made a choice that was far from inevitable. Jesus chose self-giving love. The decision to become human, to become God with us, this decision set the trajectory for his entire life to follow. It was, it was just the first of many times that Jesus chose self-giving love. I mean, think about it. He chose self-giving love when he invited a ragtag crew to be his disciples instead of the, the, the finest cream of the crop in town. He chose self-giving love when he chose to sit down and have meals with tax collectors and sinners instead of the A-listers. 
He chose self-giving love when he treated the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery and Mary and Martha and so many more, not as second-class citizens, but as people with inherent dignity and worth. Jesus chose self-giving love when he healed diseases on the Sabbath. And he chose self-giving love when he set his face toward Jerusalem and laid down his life for the sake of the world. And not a single one of these things was inevitable. Not a single one of them was inevitable. Time and time and time again, Jesus had a choice to make. And time and time And time again, Jesus chose self-giving love. Brothers and sisters, you're here this morning because each of us wants to live a life of love. But it won't just happen because we want it to. Life isn't a Hallmark Christmas movie. A life of love isn't inevitable. But here's the good news. It is possible. It's possible. Jesus, just like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the Magi before him, Jesus shows us that a life of love is possible. A life of love is possible when we choose self-giving love. And the self-giving love that set it all in motion is what we celebrate in this time we call Christmas. And it's why every week we gather at the table of the Lord. It's why this morning we gather at the table of the Lord. To remember that from beginning to end, Jesus chose self-giving love. And not only do we gather to remember that Jesus chose self-giving love, we gather to remember that we too are called to choose self-giving love each and every day of our lives. As the Apostle Paul put it in Philippians 2, don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, And under the earth might bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus chose self-giving love. And it's that self-giving love that we celebrate today at the table of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus. As we take this bread, we remember not only his body given up on the cross but also the choice he made to take on a human body in the first place. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That when he easily could have made a selfish choice, he chose self-giving love instead. We pray, God, that that we will take the bodies you've given us and choose to give them away in self-giving love just like him. 
Through Jesus, we pray. Amen.